Okay, everybody, once again, it's time for the program that emanates from two different continents every single week. We have no music, we have no commercials, we have no jingles, we have no seemingly value of talent or valuable talent. <laughs> Coming to you from a uh, soon-to-be-snow-blanketed United Kingdom, I'm Adam Curry. And in uh, sunny Northern California, I'm John C. Dvorak. Hey, John, how you doing uh, today? Now, what was that sentence again? Seemingly no... I don't know. I was something. talking out of my ass. I just tried to... That's the only thing I try to mix up, but I never write it... You know, I have no agenda, so I don't write it up. I try and make it's it up terrible. on the spot. Yeah. I know, it sucked. I should write it. What, what was the... Uh, what's the snow thing? What are you talking about? It's April. Yeah. Uh, there's this... Uh, the wind changed from the north, and there's... You can you can even track it on Google Earth. I have the a cloud layer, which I, is fantastic to look at. It's coming down directly from the north, from Scandinavia, and uh, it's like a low-pressure system. Just, I mean, it dropped about an hour ago. The temperature went from 15 degrees Celsius to about 8, and, uh, and hail started forming. And so uh, it should be snowing within the next uh, five hours or so. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's crazy. It's not nice. Well, you know, I, I understand it's, it's largely due to the fact that uh, Al Gore came out of his hole and saw his own shadow. I'm telling you, man, we've had weather, I mean, global warming, I, how can you buy it? When does it start? You know, <laughs> it's supposed to be happening now. It's, it's only gotten cold. April, well, indeed. Climate change, not really global warming, depending on who you talk to. So, I but just... now, you know, there was a report, there was a report in, I think, Nature Magazine, some guy wrote an editorial saying that uh, they did the, you know, they keep redoing the calculations. They say there's no way, no matter what we do, we can't. Stop influence it. the climate so much as they say it's just a cycle yeah it goes up it goes down it's the earth has been well let's not even get into this because i don't want to deal with the email <laughs> there's something so some things we say man on this show that just generates like so religion. much email yeah oh yeah well religion also being i got one for you um thursday night uh thursday evening i was invited to a dinner at this place it's a it's a private club called five cavendish square have you ever heard of this no. Okay, so well, Cavendish Square, um, you know, it's a, a very nice uh, address. And there's this um, uh, Sicilian guy, young guy, like my age, maybe a little bit older than I am, just a few years. And he's turned this, uh, you know, this beautiful, um, you know, London uh, house into a private club. I think pri primary market is like, well, rich fuckers to start off with, but, you know, make maybe football players or... Uh, you know, extremely wealthy businessmen. You know, it's one of these places that's really blinged out. They've got like 15 hotel rooms and they have a restaurant, a private, you know, club, like disco, like dance club. They've got, you know, f function rooms, you know, really, really uh, top notch, really expensive art, you know, great food, Italian chef, uh, also from Sicily, by the way. And, uh, you know, the wine menu can, this of course is what it's leading up to. Um, so the wine menu, you open the, f the front page, John, it's like, you know, <laughs> cheapest wine on the front page, 2,000 pounds. I'm like, okay. Well, I don't feel like, well, exactly. I wasn't in the right company for that. But the owner actually joined us uh, uh, after dinner and uh, uh, his name is Jay. And uh, he says, you know, what do you guys drink? We, we chose, I, uh, one of my uh, table mates had chosen the wine. I know it wasn't hugely expensive, but it was okay. And he said, let me bring you my favorite wine. This stuff is, is just awesome, he says. And, and indeed, it was fantastic. I, I, I wanted to see if you knew what it was, because um, it doesn't look terribly expensive. 
to be quite honest. He gave me a couple bottles to take home, which was another clue. <laughs> um, have you ever, it's, it's Italian. It's a, a 2004 Amarone. Have you ever heard of this? Amarone, yeah. Amarone, yeah. Have you ever had um, this? Yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've had that wine. I find that wine to be a slight, for my taste, it's not a real, uh, it's not as popular as, I think it used to be popular in like the 50s or something, but it's a uh, slightly, it's a slightly sweet um, it, has, it has like a with, it has like a sweet slice that kind of goes through it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's a sweet wine for my palate, and it's uh, the alcohol is quite high usually. Well, uh, <laughs> that's the other point I wanted to mention. <laughs> I was severely overserved that evening. Uh, so uh, it should say the alcohol content on the label somewhere, but they run fifteen percent sometimes. In, Let me see. Uh, maybe higher. You're kidding me, really? Let me see. What's uh, shit, man? It's in Italian. Uh, oh, here we go. Sixteen percent. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, uh, doesn't surprise me. So, this- so uh, I, it's, I, it's not a favorite of mine. Let's put it that way. Okay. I liked it, but it's, it can't be expensive, right? That looks like a like a fifteen. No, no, it can It can be. No, it can be expensive. Really? It might be inexpensive. I mean, the, the range just goes from. It's never a cheap wine. Um, and it can get pretty expensive. I mean, it doesn't get really expensive. Like the, there are great Italian wines that are extremely expensive, but um, it could cost. You know, you can, I've seen them for. I think a typical one you'd probably pay about in the U.S. You'd pay thirty-five bucks for it. Okay, which yeah. to me is kind of expensive for what you get. I liked it though. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, no. Well, you know, sometimes you know, a lot of times the uh, I found with wine an interesting aspect to it is that uh, often the, uh, the the situation, the company, and the environment, and a lot of other uh, variables contribute to the overall uh, your your overall your overall impression of a wine. True. Um, if you're sitting there with and- a Sicilian drinking it and he's paying for it, it makes it. Tastes that much better. It tastes a lot better, <laughs> and uh, I've noticed. And there are actually people. I, I, I mean, I've tested this over the years. There are actually people, uh, and I'm not going to go into too much details. But there are people where I, I don't care what I could pull out of what rabbit I can pull out of a hat. The wine never tastes good with them. <laughs> it does happen, doesn't it? <laughs> it's weird. Hey, how about uh, I'm coming out to San Fran? How about uh, dinner Tuesday night? Are you free? Uh, sounds okay. Yeah, because yeah, I, I think, think so. I think I come out Tuesday afternoon, and then either Wednesday we're taking the red eye to New York, or or Ron might go Wednesday, I might go Thursday. And we have a couple uh, meetings, like we have some stuff on Friday together in New York, and then I'm coming back uh, back to the UK. So either, mm-hmm. uh, but Tuesday night would be good because then I don't have to think about what I'm going to do for dinner. Yeah, and actually the restaurants are all open on Tuesday. San, a lot of people don't realize in San Francisco, you know, on Sunday and Monday, you know, the 99% of the restaurants are closed, the good ones. And uh, Really? On fact, Sunday? Uh, Sunday evening? A lot of, yeah, you'll find a lot of places closed on Sunday. Huh. And, um, and, the, and the thing that's interesting is that the restaurant that tends to stay open on these, uh, especially on Monday, which is really problematic, uh, is La Folie. So people out there who uh, need to get a, a great meal. Uh, and they, they've, they've reintroduced frog's legs to the menu. Oh, we should and have some. We should have some. Frog's legs are great. Yeah, I like but it anyway, too. But anyway, so they... But all the chefs tend to go to this place on Monday. The chefs that are in the restaurants that are closed, it's quite interesting. You always run into one or two of them. Hmm. 
So, any idea so where, where we should we go for our for our? No, let me look around and see what's going on. Maybe there's something new and trendy. I'll check it out. <laughs> All right. Our first comment, John, is 23 seconds long and very important to play at the top of the show. Hey, Adam. RE, the latest no agenda. I got to agree with Dvorak on the, the latest television offerings, especially here in the U.S. It's all crap, regardless of how successful some people might be making the crap. It's still crap. Give me something cultural. Give me something current events. Give me something dramatic and interesting. Dvorak wins. Sorry. <laughs> That's right. You were supposed to come on this week and defend yourself. Yeah. My rebuttal. My rebuttal. Well, for- First of all, there's a couple important things that people have to realize about this program because I went back and listened to it and uh, and, and kind of listened how I ground myself uh, in, into the ground, uh, you know, like in third gear. Um, th- you have to understand that this show is typically we uh, we record it on Saturday. And so for me right now, it's 530. It's the end of the day. Um, you know, I've, I've been dinking around about doing stuff, um, you know, and for you, you just got up. So there's. I think that's a big part of what makes this show work is that, you know, I'm, I'm in a different frame of mind than you are. For some reason, I think that it, that makes a difference, but could be, I think that's uh, that's part of why I, I just collapsed. I just didn't have, <laughs> like, oh crap. I don't know what to do now. Um, well, actually, you know, I thought about it afterwards and, and came to the following conclusion. You, uh, uh, had warmed up to the entire idea of a junk television program because your wife is working on a junk TV show in the, in the Netherlands, which is one of those reality shows where she's a judge, which has got to be great a great job. Mm-hmm. And you just because it's like money in your pocket, mm. you uh, being a company man, as it were, you just basically sold out uh, and and we're we're proud of it, but without thinking. That, that's my. You know, it's in other words, if I was like. Uh, working for standard oil and I just got a huge raise and I'm, you know, and then something about oil companies come up and it turns out that they're under indictment or something. I would probably be defending them to no end. Uh, and I think it's just a, a just a nature of things. I, th- that's my theory. Okay. Um, I don't think you're correct. Uh, if anything, my wor- my wife working on that show, um, reinforced my thinking. Now I went back and understand that I didn't say I liked reality television. What I said was I really liked television where there's uh, an element of human truthfulness to it that is, I didn't say it, say it in exactly these words, but we were talking about a certain type of reality programming. And uh, so, so let me, so let me well, expand deal, on by, that. by the way, deal or no deal is the one that came to the top of the, of the uh, foam there. Well, no, deal or no, you brought up deal or no deal, and that is not one of the shows that I like. Uh, you, you said you did. Yeah, I, I was wrong. And because I had time, I had time to time to think about it. And, and seriously, listen to me for a second. First of all, <laughs> television, John, and you've made a lot of TV. I think I probably, in hours end to end, have have made more than you have, uh, particularly sure. particularly the the MTV days. It is in its in its basis. Uh, television is an untruthful media. Okay, it it. Everything, uh, particularly when we started to get editing and digital video editing, uh, there's almost no truth to anything. It's all pre-programmed. It's all thought about. I mean, MTV, for Christ's sakes, invented the jump cut, which was you know forbidden, uh, literally until until that started happening in uh, in the early '80s, um, because 
you know, every technical move, every zoom, every, every cut from an interior to an exterior, just like a movie, right? It's, it's untruthful, even the news, you know, and it's, it's put together. So the only types of television programming that actually deliver some truth um, are usually live programming, which you don't have a lot of, but uh, like a sports, uh, sports is a great example. Um, there's not much you can do with the switching of the cameras, and they have tons of cameras on these types of, of, uh, of games. There's not a lot you can do that will change what's really happening. You know, you kind of see it. You may not see it from the best possible angle, but you can see if the ball went in the goal or if it, it got, you know, or if, the, or if there was a strike or what, whatever it is. You, it's, a, it's an end-to-end uh, sequence that all runs in parallel, and that's pretty, it's pretty truthful um, portrayal of what's happening, uh, what you're watching is what... Uh, it's truthful. It's more truthful than anything else. Let's put it that way. So the only thing that's and I and I've made so much television. It's all, all of it's been full of shit. All of it. It's all meant to trick you into liking an entertainment-based product. Now, enter reality television, which turned this up fifty-fold, maybe five thousand times. Um, and if you look at programs like Holland's Got Talent. Uh, and I, you know, I was there at some of the tapings, and when I look at the playback of the show, when I see how it's been put together, it is completely every single bit of it has been moved around, pieces pulled in, slow motion, dramatic music, um, even some of the answers. Although the outcome didn't change of what the judges said about an act, they cut a different answer uh, <laughs> into uh, uh, into one act that was used for so- for a different act. All of this is it's complete bullshit. In fact, I'm convinced, and I've done this. I can take a tape, one of your home movies. You just send a random, random home movie right, well, to no, me. The, well, the, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. No, no, no. I'm that. getting there. I'm getting there. Let me let me just go all the way okay. to the end. So I could take your home movies, and with editing, sound effects, music, and voiceover, I can create a fantastic show. It could be dramatic. It could be funny. Whatever. But. Here's what I like about the, about the, particularly these contests. So I'm talking about X Factor, uh, Idol, uh, Got Talent, um, and there's a couple other examples. Is the one thing that television cannot fake, can provoke, but cannot fake, is extreme human emotion of joy or sorrow, and these and that's what these shows are built around. They're built around uh, with pure honesty. So you have a judge who will say something completely honestly. The judge is not making up what they feel at that moment. And it will either make you extremely happy or destroy you. And that one little moment, that one piece of human emotion, the best, of course, is in the finals when you have a winner and a loser. But just like sports, when a, when a guy scores a goal, that human emotion is, is something that you cannot make up with television. And that's the part... That, re- that I love. I will sit down and watch an entire show just to get the kick of seeing that. And I have to say, unfortunately, usually when someone's extremely sad or getting cut down is when I like it the most. And that's what I like about this. Well, you know, I mean, you might as well just go to the grocery store and step on someone's foot and see what happens. Uh, um, <laughs> oh, man. I thought a whole week, and that's what I get from you. Thanks. So, um, he... 
you know, this these show the, the thing that I wanted to interrupt you for, which wouldn't have really changed your train of thought, which I, you know, okay, fine. I'm not going to argue about it. I think that one of the things is they choose people because they've been doing it on game shows for years that or you know, they, they test people to make sure they are emotional. Uh-huh. They jump up and down and, you know, these contestants uh, and they won't take somebody who's, who's nonplussed or who's, you know, just not going to go, woo! Or anything like correct, that. Correct. Correct. Uh, and so, so there's a cer- certain rigging involved there too, true, which I think true. is deplorable. But well, in, but not, but not in the talent contest genre. Not entirely. They don't know that the way they do on game shows. That's different. Okay. Fine, I, I'll, I'll I'll accept that. Uh, but anyway, the one thing I wanted to mention, which when you were talking about how this, a lot of this was, you know, they change these certain, they'll, they'll edit stuff around, so it's not what really happened. Is my favorite, absolute favorite thing, which is always, I you know, I don't understand how the I can't. I, to be honest about it, when I see it, I, I just get just seriously annoyed. You have a live performance of some sort, or or even a, one of these idol shows or a comic and they show somebody doing something and then the guy says something funny and they cut immediately to an audience member who is dying of laughter. Oh, that's all fake. At, that's all fake. It's all from, at, from yeah, different totally audience shots. How, yeah. They take a bunch of random audience shots and then they cut them in later because there's no way you could have, you know, they, what kind of coincidence are we talking no, but, but about? John, here? John, the, John, the, that's just the visual version of the laugh track, which is still used every single day. It's just a visual version of it. Nothing new. That's digital video editing gave us that. And the other thing I wanted to say is the um, is that all these 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 kind of talent shows really I never heard any of them ever give a nod to the original. Uh, there's actually there goes back to radio with Ted Max Amateur Hour, and then there was the Amateur Hour show on on television. Man, my parents used to talk about God that. Went. They used to talk. They would say yeah. that's really Amateur Hour is what they would say. Right, which is what all these shows are, and I mean, it's, they're all they're all dependent on that model from some years ago. And then you know, of course, the one that mocked it the best, and I still think one of the greatest shows of this genre was the Gong Show, mm-hmm. which it was actually had the same crackpot talent, and uh, but they had this Gong element where you could Gong the person. By and, the way, that's uh, the same in, in Holland's Got Talent. Each judge has a big red button in front of them, and when they hit it. Then it, it doesn't do a gong, but it gives them a, an explosion-type shot sound. And then when all three hit it, then the act has to stop. So it's essentially mm-hmm. the same concept. So anyway, but I, I find you know these shows to be uh, rather. Uh, I have tr- I'm having more trouble watching television now than ever because. Oh, but John, I but John, I don't watch television either. Wasting- I mean, I, I'm yeah, not well, a big television watcher, but when I do watch, I love. I have to tell you, I really, really love it. And you know, other stuff I can get online. You know, the documentary stuff. I'll get the good ones from you. I don't have to sit through all the other crap. Oh, it reminds me. I got to get. I got a couple more for you. So. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, let me ask you a question. With all with all yeah. the the smart computing power we have, and all all the smart brains that are making software these days, why is it that my calendar, my schedules are still fucked up from America changing to uh, daylight savings time two weeks earlier than the rest of the world. It really messed up a lot of things. Yeah, I know. In fact, my I still have one computer that will not, no matter how updated it is, will not give me the correct time. I mean, we have really smart professional women working for us who do a lot of our scheduling. I, you know, you know Maggie, you know Rosie. I don't know if you know Carrie or not, but they all work together and they use Google Calendar 
uh, mainly, but there's some offshoots, but it's all kind of linked together. You know, Ron, I think, uses uh, Outlook and Maggie has control over that. Uh, but invites are generally sent out, you know, as an invite and they all, those all work, those calendar invites. So if I, you know, I can get one from Microsoft Outlook and I can just accept it and it'll pop right into my uh, calendar. But usually Carrie does that for me. So there's, I only want, you know, one person if possible doing my calendar. But there's all these meetings that got set up and everyone was off. Everyone was off by an hour, one way or the other. Either I, mine was messed up or someone else's. It's, it's, I think in this day and age, it's inexcusable. I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, it's just amazing to me that the, some of this stuff uh, is goes on the way it does. I mean, just to take it to a more of a micro level, uh, how come these clocks don't keep accurate time? We have a computer for God's sake, and a clock, and there's a clock chip with a crystal in it, and these things, they, they, these things have creep over. Like if you run your little clock within Windows, the time will change by a couple of minutes over the month. Really? Which makes no sense to me, and yet, yeah, and so you have to keep resetting it. Or I use what I use. I the use the time the time the, server. I use the time server too. I use the yeah. atomic clock. Right. But but and every every time you boot, it resets the clock. But if you just take that thing offline and give it a month, this the clock will be off by you know two, three, four minutes. It's ah. unbelievable. Uh, I mean, what is the problem? I've with seen this? you know you know where I've seen this being a problem. It has to do literally with the accuracy. Uh, this is what I've been told: the accuracy of the clock. Of the, with the computer's own clock. Um, that's very simplistic, I know. But uh, as an example, um, something a lot of podcasters do is they'll do what we call a double ender. So they'll talk on Skype, but then they'll each record their individual file. We've actually discussed doing it this way. Uh, but when you, you, so then the, you know, the other party who, uh, or one of the parties sends his file to the other person. And then, you know, the, the thinking is you just line them up in uh, a program like Audacity or GarageBand or something else that is multi-track, and then you just set the levels, and then you know you mix it out, and you're good to go. But it turns out that uh, over time, in about seventy to eighty percent of uh, of the cases that you do this, they will be out of sync, and one file will literally be longer or shorter than the other one because of the computer's internal clock mechanism. This is what I've been told. I've seen the out of sync happen. I've been told that's what the problem is. And it just has to do with inaccuracy of the internal clock. Well, uh, it's possible, but all I know is that if that's the case, then it's even more ridiculous. I mean, what does it take to make the clock accurate? It's just the crystal. I don't know. I've, I've, I, uh, well, maybe one of our listeners will send a note. We're getting a lot of listeners from all over the world that are sending in all kinds of interesting notes about you know what we've uh, said about something, shit, especially when yeah. we make a request. And our numbers are. Yeah. Uh, I can't. I haven't seen the last three days worth because Limelight's logs messed up, but our numbers have yet again increased. It's real. I think we're hockey sticking. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it could be. Well, sometimes you get these word effects. So, so talking about one of our, our stand, we haven't talked about this for a while. So, uh, as I mentioned before, I've been drinking the PG Tips Gold exclusively. Mm-hmm. And so they recently, uh, locally, for some reason, I, the, one of the big distributors had way too much of PG tips in the big 160 boxes, mm-hmm. uh, 160 bags, and that was get, getting near expiration like in the next few months. So they dumped it on the market at $5.95 for a big box of this stuff. Wow, that's a good price. So I, I mean, how can, yeah, it's a good price. And so how, am I, how can I resist? So I bought a big box, and so I started to 
you know, if I figure I better plow through this stuff because it's going to expire. And I can now say for certain that the taste profile of the regular versus the gold is extremely different. Yeah, I, out there I, I would agree. I would agree it's different. You like it better, I presume. Um, you know what? I can't say I like one over the other that much. I do. Uh, it took me actually a few bags of the old fashioned stuff to get used to it again because it has a green taste, a literal vegetal uh, green flavor that is. Uh, it's a little. It tastes a little stronger. This that's a smoother, milder drink. You mean the uh, so the so the, the non gold is a little greener taste? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. It has a little. It has a little bit, bit of a weedy flavor. I, I would call it earthy. It's kind of yeah, so grindy, yeah, okay. earthy. Earth is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I forgot yeah, one thing as a part of my rebuttal, man. I forgot the most important bit. Speaking of honesty, you need to apologize. Yeah, well, I was hoping you forget. Yeah, last week, uh, you know, we, you know, we <laughs> have this no agenda as the theory here. That means we're not supposed to really come on with a lot. You know, I do make you know lists of maybe topics, but last week I had what was the topic again? It was about um, the uh, fresh and easy supermarkets. All right, I had a uh, I got on a jag about these fresh and easy supermarkets, and so I sent Adam a bunch of links to for him to study, and he did. And I read too much material, so it was actually a plan. You know, I had you know, so it was there was an agenda. It was yeah. me to bitch and moan about this, uh, <laughs> and so I and it didn't I work, did it? It didn't you, work. No, it didn't work because you were over prepared, and uh, which is typical, by the way. This is one of the things I always like to, you know, in broadcasting. There's, I think I mentioned this before. There's two schools of thought about when you get a guest. You you either pre-interview them or you don't, and. Uh, when you sometimes over-prepare, a lot of the life is well, well, the, out. What happens is you'll have a pre-conference, and I'm of the don't even talk to me until the microphone's open school. What'll happen is you'll actually say something sometimes. The worst is when you, you're on the air, you break for a song or a commercial, and then you're talking to the guest, and then something really amazing comes out, and then you'll immediately, of course, try to reproduce that in the next segment, and it's never as well told, it's never as funny if it was intended to be, it never, ever works. So I tell my guests, sorry, just don't talk to me. Yeah, I actually have to do that on Cranky Geeks uh, because oh, yeah. we take these two break, two or three breaks, and, and then all of a sudden someone will get on a on some. They start talking in between, and I have to really scold them to tell them not to because they're going to yeah. not bring it up. That it's for that we're doing the show for the audience, not for them to to buddy up with somebody. Yeah, exactly. They can talk later. Speaking of which, did you actually find out where Veronica is going? I saw your your video. No. No. Now, now I want to point out that video, which is on the, the uh, Dvorak Uncensored uh, uh, spot on uh, YouTube. Uh, oh, right. I want to point that video was done with a little bitty, stinky, dinky little Kodak. Because Kodak has these microphones in their cameras that it is just good. amazing to yeah. use to make these kind of slipshod videos. And uh, I don't know what to tell you, but I, I, every time I w listened to it, it sounded good, didn't it? It's fantastic. Yeah. No, the, you know, I've been using the. Have you seen the flip phone? Have you seen one of those? A flip phone, the uh, the flip camera. Yeah, I've seen those. I've been using that one. It's astounding how good it is. Yeah, you can get really good quality. I mean, this is for little flash videos. I mean, obviously, I don't, you know, although, you know, Kodak has one I've been playing with, which gives a 720p HD 16 by 9 movie. Oh, holy crap. And, uh, 
and it, which is pretty amazing, especially when you put it up on a big projector. And um, so, I mean, it's interesting that, you know, they, so, so I think it was like about three or four months, or four, maybe four months ago, I was in Iowa at a, uh, a digital television conference that's put on by the public stations there, but they had all these people from all over the country talking about digital TV. And they had the guys from Frontline there. And they were talking about how they're how they moved to digital, and then they, they made the comment that, uh, you know, the guys who were, were cameramen, actually, you really have to actually have more talent uh, to get these digital cameras to work right because of the color balancing issues and all these other problems that you have, so you can't for, for broadcast television, you have to have a consistent look. Yep. But, but I showed him one of these cameras. I showed him, in fact, this one Kodak that has a 16 by 9 720p HD recording capability and stereo mics. And, he, and the, one of the producers told me, yeah, he says, they're, they're, that's kind of like the cam- a lot of the times they're using cameras like that now yeah. to produce some of these. Because because apparently when you're like in Afghanistan or something and you pull out, and I've noticed this too, by the way, if you have one of these little bitty cameras that looks like a little snapshot camera, worthless little snapshot camera. Then they don't treat you as press. And- they don't treat you as press, and they don't see a big camera shoved in their face. They see you holding this stupid little thing. It looks Mickey Mouse. It's not threatening. But in fact, you, it's non-threatening, and it and it does the job. And they're at now. I, I didn't, but I didn't realize that the network guys, the big boys, are doing are using these things too. I've made a I've made a quite a study of this. Uh, whenever I whenever I used to interview someone, I would always say, "Could you please mic us both just with a lavalier mic?" Because the whole idea of a stick mic and then talking into it and then shoving it in someone's face it it just gives you a different result yeah no i think so the uh, the methodology actually affects you know it's like a McLuhan thing you know the medium is the message mm-hmm. the, the 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 actual methodology will affect the outcome yep. uh in in kind of unknown ways and you you don't know what you would have got if you if you'd done it differently well, I've only seen by by my own experience. It is most definitely different when you're using a you know the, uh, the what do they call it the uh, the spooning technique or whatever. When you when you have the yeah when you, you have a, the, when you have a hand mic yeah oh yeah oh yeah oh it's it's just night and day difference. Right, it's also unnerving. I mean, because some of these guys you'll have a little crew, and the guy you some they'll do it from some will shoot from below, and so you got a guy on his hands and knees that's standing outside yeah. of the shot. And you got a sound guy mic up in the air. It's yeah, it's it's a, it's it's ridiculous, and especially yeah. if there's the, if you're out in the middle of nowhere, if you're in the public, you know, arena, and people are walking by seeing this, they think, "What the what's yeah, going yeah. on? Oh, what's happening? Guys? What's happening?" Yeah. Oh man, I got another uh, Terminal Five story. You'll love this one. So last week it was all messed up. It's still messed up at Terminal Five with the baggage. This is the new. How heat. can that be? Well, now, now the uh, now British Airways, who have the use of the terminal exclusively, are saying that the automatic baggage system has now failed them. So first it was their resource planning. Now it's the baggage. I mean, they they just never really tested this. You know, even I could have said, why don't you take, um, you know, five thousand bags of bricks and try the fucking system out? You know, it doesn't seem like they did that. But here's what happened. <laughs> I'm sure you read this because it's it's two great stories in one. Um, Naomi Campbell, the supermodel, she, uh, right. she, uh, so she arrived well on time. Of course she had a whole shitload of, uh, of clothes and the story now, which I think is probably spin. The story now is that, uh, she had one super big case that was filled with sponsored clothes, which she has to wear by contract wherever she goes. But when she was on the plane, they came on the plane and 
and they said, well, you know, Miss Campbell, we're really sorry, but you know, one of your, uh, one of your suitcases isn't going to make it on the flight, uh, because it's messed up. And well, she wound up of course, throwing a hissy fit and getting arrested. Uh, but I just thought it was kind of interesting that it's still a week later and after someone, now see, here's a case of, you know, someone who you, you already know you don't want to piss off Naomi Campbell. So you should really try and get her suitcases on board. I think certainly as a paying first class passenger, uh, and, the, and they're not even capable of doing that. I think this, this problem may be a little deeper than, uh, than they're letting on if it's taken them this long. They canceled another 12 flights today, short haul, because they couldn't, they well, just you know, this, couldn't do the baggage. This, this is not the first time something like this has happened. Denver, Denver International, yeah. when it was But, but that was all one. technical, right? That was from day one. They, it was the skis, wasn't it? They hadn't, they hadn't figured out how the skis would work on the automatic system. Well, I'm not sure that that was the only thing because most of the reports we were getting here in San Francisco, where they like to ridicule these things, was 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 baggage mangling. Uh, there would be Crazy. one show after another with the guy, the microphone, and they showed the bag, and the bag looked like Coming it was out chopped all up, up. <laughs> in some sort of a farming gear or something. Oh man, yeah. Well, it's just amazing, just amazing, and everyone's so embarrassed by it too. You know, and. In four years, man, we've got the Olympics happening here. Well, you know, the funny thing is they built a new airport in Beijing that's bigger than all those terminals at Heathrow. And they did the whole thing within the period of time it took them to get uh, Terminal 5 finished. And it, uh, it, from the sounds and looks of it, the thing is amazing. There have been some, a lot of specials on TV showing this new this new terminal. It's huge. It's, it's, it's something like two miles long. Hmm. You know, I went to Beijing the first time before they, you know, they, they were working on an airport then. I think it was like the third airport. If I go to this airport, it'll be the third different airport I've been in that are, you know, that are in Beijing. The first time I went to Beijing, I went to the old airport, the old communist airport. And it was a nightmare, especially trying to get out of the place. I mean, to get through these bottlenecks of, you know, where you had the, where they had passport checks, there was no lines, no organization. So you had to kind of muscle your way in. So this was kind of pays off to be a little bigger than usual <laughs> and uh, to get, just get in there. And in fact, I had this experience and I was in Saigon and the Vietnamese, the airport in Saigon is, a, is still, it's even, it was even worse. It was some old, it looks like, it doesn't even look like an airport. It's one of the few airports you've ever seen. that doesn't look like, it looks like it's just a, it's just a big square, horrible, looking building thick uh, Stalin type um, uh, architecture and there's then uh, there's no signage which is the which really kills me <laughs> oh really in the airport there's no arrows so, saying, it's like, here, so what you're saying here. is it's like a casino there's there's no exit sign well, there's no any signs, and it's not as quite as nice as a casino. So anyway, so you go in there, and but the thing was, was weird. They had all these guards at all the doors, and there's all people crowded around just to get into the airport. But if you were like a tall, you know, uh, Caucasian, you know, they kind of almost, you know, they which is kind of a reverse racism there. They kind of like got you in. But once you got into the place, to, you know, I'm trying to get out of town, right? So you go in there, and there's you, there's nothing to tell you. Know, it's not like a big United sign or I think I was flying on Ava. I'm not sure what airline. I think Ava. But anyway, there, you, so you actually literally had to go from one uh, one of those, you know, one of those things where you check in, uh, ticketing thing. You have to go from one to another and go right up to the, to the counter and look at the screen to see what 
airline and flight. Oh, right. So everyone is crowded around, people checking in, trying to see the screens, and oh, what a nightmare. Well, but it's these individual screens. There's not like a there's there wasn't a centrally located screen, you know, like most airports have, where you can just you can look down to either the time or the where you're going and figure out where. where. There was none of that. You had to go from one to the other to the other to the other. Till you finally, I finally found one that was for this air carrier, and then I could I just asked them, and I finally found my way out of there. But I thought that was pretty bad. Now, since we're on the topic, or I brought the topic up of airline terminals, my all-time favorite horrible airline terminal, and I'm not sure if this has been improved at all because I haven't been there since the fall of communism, but Moscow. I've been been to Moscow's airport. So Moscow, you go into this airport, which was, I think, new at the time, uh, and the place is dark. I mean, literally dark, and there's gypsy kids running around all over the place, pickpocketing people in the terminal. What year was this, John? What year were you there? uh, About one year before before the fall of communism, which was some... Oh, me too, like 88, 89? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that's when I was there. Oh, interesting. Yeah, well, I, you know, I wouldn't have been able to see it because it's so dark in the airport in the terminal. But anyway, <laughs> I'll be wearing the red rose. <laughs> there was the, the the funny scenes were besides the kids running around. There was also one in the entire airport. There was one automatic door that opened and closed to let people yeah. in and out. Yeah. And it was surrounded by kids who kept jumping up and Making down on the yeah, thing yeah, yeah. to open and close the door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, 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 so it, you could go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I said you're right. It, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't like an Argus-based or like electronic eye. It was a mat. It was a mat. Right. Pressure, pressure a mat. mat. Pressure mat that would open it up. <laughs> right. Like, so, old, so these school. kids are jumping. So you can't get out that door. And meanwhile, they. Um, I talked to somebody about this. Why the place is so dark, by the way. And, they, and some guy told me that. Well, the deal is, is that it was designed by a German company, and they spec'd out all these lights. There's all these little bulbs that were inset in kind of cans. The whole ceiling was covered with them, but there was no light coming out of them. He said they, the Germans spec this thing out to a certain wattage bulb, not to a certain lumen. And when they used Russian bulbs, they got about half the lumens out of them, so the place was pitch black. Anyway. I, was, I was there with the uh, the Moscow Music Peace Festival. Do you, re- do you mm-hmm. remember that? No. Oh, that was... Uh, I, uh, do you want to hear the story? Are you interested? Yeah, yeah, no, sure. Okay, so Doc McGee, I don't know if that name means anything to you. He was... Yeah, a, it rings a bell. Yeah, very famous manager of bands. Uh, and in the 80s, he was the manager of Bon Jovi, Motley Crue. Well, those are the two big ones. And he had been uh, caught... Um, I don't know if he was, I think that either he had rented the Learjet or was registered to his name. There was a Learjet that landed in Miami with like 5,000 kilos of coke. And so he got busted for it. And the judge gave him uh, kind of a get out of jail free card. And he had to do some great community service. So the idea was he would do an anti-drug, anti-alcohol concert in Russia. And of course, this, you know, this went up to some pretty high levels because this was a political thing as well. So... He's clearly well-connected in all the right places. So uh, off we went, um, and this, I think it was 88, um, in, a, in a rented DC-8, <laughs> some, some crappy, crappy plane. Uh, so Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, um, Ozzy Osbourne, but with um, you know, the other Black Sabbath guys, Geezer Butler, and uh, was it Tommy Iommi? And, uh, oh man, it, it was, uh, Skid Row. We stopped in Germany, <clears throat> picked up the Scorpions 
And then we landed in Moscow and it was for this huge concert that would be held in Lenin Stadium. So they, um, we were in the hotel right near Red Square where they actually turned on the hot water in that part of the city as a gesture to their uh, guests. Uh, and I could probably fill up um, three no agendas worth of stories um, uh, about that trip there, but I'll just give you one that was pretty cool. Because, um, of course, you know, this was the... Um, I'll give you two stories. This was the anti-drug, anti-alcohol um, concert. So on the plane, on the way over, and this is when Sharon Osbourne was still just a little rotund, kind of pale, no no personality having English girl who was managing uh, Ozzy Osbourne. So she was on board, and Ozzy was completely, I mean, completely plastered. Uh, everyone was plastered, but Ozzy was really, really out of it. And he's standing near the lavatory because we were all kind of sitting together. And he's like, Sharon, Sharon, I got to go someone in the loo, Sharon. Because someone was, you know, was occupied. And Sharon's like, oh, Ozzy, just wait. So he wets himself right there, right in the aisle. You know, this is just like, you know, like a, like a second grader, a huge white spot or a huge wet spot in his pants, which really kind of set the tone for the rest of the entire trip. But then, what is it? What, what, what? Who? Who would pick that guy to go on an anti-alcohol tour? <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> oh, like the Motley Crue guys were cool, you know, or yeah, Skid Row. Yeah. Come on, or any of them. exactly. So the, the, we were there for like four nights or five nights. So on the second night, which of course consisted of lots of vodka and just brazen drunkenness, it was crazy. The Moscow chapter of the Hell's Angels showed up in front of our hotel. Didn't know they had one. And remember, this was still before the wall came down. And they were on Java motorcycles, you know, these Yugoslavian-built uh, bikes. And, and they were out of their mind, John. They were like popping wheelies, flipping off the back. It was just, it was like being in a fucking movie. And I'll just never forget. It's like, you have this idea of what a communist state, particularly what... You know, Moscow would be like, and you're there, and it's just, there was no control. It was mayhem. I looked at their technology. Their technology was like old gray Volkswagen buses with curtains. You know, this, is, this was supposed to be the, the highly technical KGB that could, you know, eavesdrop on everything and had yeah. superiority over well, the world. No way. Well, I'm reminded of, you know, Ronald Reagan when he became president. He was shaking his fist at Russia and he called him the evil empire. And he went on and on and on. He did this for like a, a Mr. while. Mr. Gorbachev, bring that wall down. But then he went to Russia and he never he went to Russia. And it's almost like he went to Russia and had a, an epiphany. And he never, ever again said anything about the, uh, right. the evil empire. Because he saw it he because it's not there, right? Yeah, he saw it was a big bunch of bull. I mean, I, I noticed it. But I was staying in the Mir Hotel, and, which is across from that Russian, that white building that got, you know, sh- yep, yep, shelled yep, yep, or whatever. Yep, 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 yep. And um, got some nice photos. And um, and they had mics in the room that were obviously, because the Mir used to be, I guess it was it was the Diplomats Hotel for a number of years, and then it became a public hotel. Were they like big Sennheisers instead, instead of micro stuff? It was like... <laughs> No, they had they they were they were big clunky mics, but they they had been they had been painted over so many times because the room kept getting repainted, and they were all just a gob of paint. And uh, what's and that then, bump there? It's a big bump about gob of paint. And in every floor there was a woman that was the floor woman that you had to 
check in with. They never really did any security, but uh, they, they, you were told before you went, if you did your due diligence, you had to give them gifts constantly. Oh, yes, the floor lady, if you wanted toilet paper or, or if you wanted to, to make a phone call. Yeah, and you so you had to drop off toys. Yep. So you, the, the, apparently, at the time, the most valuable thing you could give people besides cigarettes were uh, like uh, I was told this, and they got a kick out of it because most of them had kids, and they were these little Tonka toys or these little mini things, those little Hot Wheels, mm-hmm. those little things. Those were like gold in Russia at the yep. time. Yeah, and so you'd give you know you'd gift them with. Did these, you go to the 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 hooker boat? Did you see that when you were there? The what? There was like a hooker boat. Near, like no, a, no, like a canal I went to the boat. International, the uh, their international hotel or whatever it was right. called. That that's where we hotel. stayed. That's where we stayed in the international well, hotel. You stayed there. Yeah, and they had a rope, and the rope was to you know hookers on one side, hotel guests on the other side. <laughs> it was phenomenal. Yeah, I think we're. I lost you there. Oh, I I got you. I got you. So, did, so anyway, uh, anyway, that place was crawling. It was unbelievable. It was. And the funny thing is about that international hotel, it's, you still there? Yeah, I'm here. You have to cut this out. I got you. The funny thing about that international hotel is that I was told before I went there that it was modeled after the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco yes. and supposedly done by the same architects. And there was, and it was funny because you go in there and there were va- you could recollect certain things because it had the big open atrium mm-hmm. and it had certain, but everything was done on the cheap and the <laughs> cement didn't seem up to par and there was just a kind of a falling apart nature everywhere. It was yeah, weird. It, it looked like it was genuine 17th century, but that was actually just shitty, shitty construction. Yeah, that was weird. So anyway, uh, it was, uh, I haven't been back. I mean, I still need, I would love to go to Len, uh, to uh, St. Petersburg and go to the Hermitage Museum. That's the only thing. Uh, here's one, here's one final thing about the floor lady. So if you had, you had to request a phone call, I think it was either 12 hours or 24 hours in advance if you wanted to make a call, international call. So, you know, I wanted to call home. And if you weren't in your room when they came knocking, then you would lose your call, right? Because, of course, you know, the, the theory is the KGB had to set up all the, the recording equipment, etc. And so I was just, you know, that was very frustrating. And uh, I'd, I'd only been, I'd been married for like six months and, you know, it was just, uh, I was much younger and I want to call home. And I uh, wound up hanging out, uh, you know, with the because I I knew a lot of the the video crew that was there. But Westwood One was doing all the uh, all of the audio, and they had a satellite truck. And uh. so I went up to uh, the satellite truck, was hanging out with the sound engineer, and I was talking about the phone call. I said, "Oh, oh, you know what? Here, just pick up that phone over there." And I pick it up. It got a five one six area code dial tone. <laughs> so I could just dial, you know, one two zero one. I called home. You <laughs> were. Oh, man. Oh, before I forget, uh, be sure to check out our complete uh, show notes uh, done every week by Bubba, the greatest, hardest working guy in the universe. <laughs> and uh, where is that? At, at Cage, Mac, Cage Match. At, uh, yeah, Dvorak.org slash Cage Match. Or uh, CageMatch.Dvorak.org without the www. That gets there. It's a yeah. subdomain. Bubba always goes through the whole show and then does show notes, which is pretty cool. And then I usually retrofit them into the show show notes page i try yeah he also sends uh, you know some commentary once in a while but yeah no that's very handy somebody you know is, 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 i don't know how valuable show notes are in general but i think you know they're good for search engines in case we're talking about something that somebody actually wants to yeah i think they're incredibly you know, valuable i mean there's isn't there always a moment if, if you're listening to a show then you're in 
show listening mode, but maybe later you're in browsing mode and you'll think, oh yeah, let me just go check up on that. And it's just a, it's a, it's like a permalink, you know, uh, you could say I'm going to post it on Dvorak.org slash blog or, but you could just say the show notes and everyone should kind of know where that is. Well, it helps you find a show because every once in a while I had this happen to me. Somebody sent me a note. They said they looked through all the notes. They couldn't figure out what show it was where I mentioned something about, you know, it was, a, it was actually off of Cranky Geeks. And they sent a note someplace else saying, yeah. you know, I, you were talking about this town in Arkansas that's so cool. And I yeah. can't find any records it's metadata. of it. It's yeah, it is metadata. But anyway, the town, which I ended up sending the guy an email, but there is this town in, in Arkansas that if anybody's in the neighborhood, I would recommend checking it out called Van Buren. And Van Buren is kind of a pristine Victorian town uh, in the bottom of a, if you, you kind of come in from Oklahoma and you look down and there's this like, it looks like a fake. It looks like a Hollywood movie set <laughs> of all these old Victorian, this is like an old Victorian downtown. And uh, you go down there and it's, uh, you know, these buildings are all from the, you know, pre the turn of the century for late 1800s. And they're all in perfect condition. And there's, you know, they turned the town into like a tourist trap for the, for the area. It's gorgeous. Mm. I shall have to visit. Yeah, you'll never get there. I mean, it's almost impossible. <laughs> I would have never gone in a million years if it was, you know, I happened to, I was between speeches. I had like, I had to give a talk in Dallas and then I had to give a talk like four days later in Memphis or, or Nashville. So I said, well, let me just drive. So I figured I'd take this drive because I, cool idea, I get a shot actually. at it. Yeah. Yeah, I, so I drove from Dallas to Oklahoma uh, and went through Oklahoma and then, uh, which is really depressing. And then I... It's big. Oklahoma is just really vast and flat. Well, it's, it's, it's a lot of... Uh, it's decrepit is the problem. Yeah. Anyway, so you get up there and then you go cut across. And you, then I... So I took a shot across the entire state of Arkansas, which started in Van Buren. And I took the... I, never, I didn't take 40. I took... I think it's 62 or something like that. The old U.S. highway as opposed to the freeway, which shows you nothing. And the old U.S. highways, if you float around in the south, takes you through all these old towns where the highway used to go. Anyway, so I went all the way through and I found Arkansas to be an absolutely fantastic state. Uh, I think the underrated people don't, you know, they think it's, you know, they think it's just a bunch of hicks or whatever, but they, they, they make fun of themselves when you get up into the Ozarks, they have, you can buy t-shirts, you know, the, the toothless hillbilly on the thing, you know, <laughs> and it's quite funny. And there's actually what's, what fascinated me about Arkansas the most is that there's a wine growing region in the in mountains. Arkansas. Not only that, but there was this one winery, Familia, something or other. Uh, you know, normally I should be prepared, but we don't prepare on this show, so I don't have to remember anything. Correct, correct. But this, but there was a the guy told me, and I got a long lecture from these winemakers that this Arkansas is the only state where they grow all four kinds of grapes. They grow the uh, the uh, vinifera, and there's this this weird grape that they this big giant grape this things the size of a small orange uh, that they make uh musk it's a muscadine grape and they make a wine out of it called muscadine wine which you can get they grow it all over the south the stuff is like is that like muscadet is that is that the same no thing? no no muscadet is a vinifera grape this is a, called muscadine and it's called muscadine wine and it's it's apparently really good with deer meat it is almost impossible to to choke down um Although I have to say this place, this one place, this familia to whatever, made one that was actually drinkable. 
And, you know, I, by the way, while I'm discussing this, I looked up the uh, Wikipedia. If you go to grape varieties and look at the Wikipedia, there's actually six varieties of, of grapes that are made into wine. But the main one, I'll, I'll go over for people out there. One is the vinifera. That's the one that we, we know and, and love. And the... Uh, and then there's the uh, Labrusca, which is the Concord, Catawba, those kinds of grapes. And the one that, that muscadine comes from is called the Rotundifolia. And the muscadine grapes, and I'd never had these grapes before. They're very interesting. I was at the, I was in Atlanta once, and I went to the farmer's market. I always shop when I'm floating around. And, and there was this, this kind of a bin with these huge fruits in there. I never seen anything quite they look like a really a extremely large plum. Mm. And uh, and I and they with the same coloration, only perfectly round. And I, I I don't know what it was, and I just as soon as I saw it, I said, "Are those muscadine grapes?" And the guy says, "Yeah." And you know, like, what do you think they are? And so I bought them, and I and I ate them. You eat, you eat them like an apple. They're so big. And I brought a bunch of them home, and the kids loved them. It's a really a good. But it's a big giant thing. It's not like a you know a bunch of grapes. It's like these big. But does it have Does it have seeds in it? Yeah, yeah, no, it's just like a giant round grape that is like you know a, some sort of a from another planet. It's, they're pretty good, but anyway, the other there's Riparia, which is another uh, variety. But anyway, the guys they grow four of the of the of the six types, I guess, um, so, in Arkansas. So, so that whole grape wrap, you know, with all the all the different times, can you get laid if you if you lay that on women? Does that work? What the grape the grape talk? Yeah, that's that's pretty <laughs> impressive. <laughs> yeah, it hasn't worked for me. Uh. But anyway, so the uh, but the, but back to this winery. So I find out, I did a little research. There was four wineries there when I went there, but apparently, according or before <laughs> prohibition, there were forty five wineries. And uh, and I visited all four of the ones that were in business, and one of them just was bought by Gallo, as a matter of fact. And they were thinking of adding more stuff. Right. And the only thing, the only conc- I don't want to beat this to death, but the one thing that was interesting is that I had a I had a suspicion that this was a wine growing area when I when I got into it because there is one there's a there's a kind of a fauna flora thing that I've run into in various wine growing areas around the world. If there's a lot of oak trees around, uh, there will be a ton of hanging lichen, uh, not dissimilar to what you'd see in Savannah, Georgia, or places like that, but without the humidity, just a drier kind of a climate. And you run into this down in Southern California. When I first I was driving in the mountains, and I ran into these these this hanging lichen, and it turned out to be one Paso Robles wine growing area. And I've run into this in the mountains in the Napa Valley. And then when I'm driving through Arkansas, and I, I get this exact same characteristic, and I go. And they turn the corner as a winery, and it's just a, it was very interesting. Are there any wines from Arkansas that you drink regularly or that you like? No, but you know what? There's one winery that I mentioned. Uh, I would uh, order wine from them. They made actually made a Zinfandel that was better than you, you'd imagine, uh, but they also had a really good uh, a sweet wine. They made a Cabernet that was credible. And they had a bunch of, I like that a Cabernet that is credible. Nice, <laughs> it was credible. Nice. And there was a bunch of there, all the wines that were actually. I talked to the wine guy. I took some photos, and I, I didn't blog it because it was before, it was too long ago. But I realized I could probably talk about marijuana the way you talk about wine, the different kind of strains, <laughs> and you know, and there's this great little place on Jamaica. If you turn left from Montego Bay, going up the new highway, you know, it's, well, there's probably uh, a couple members of the audience that would appreciate that. Hell so, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of great but, weed podcasts, I might point out. 
Really? Oh yeah. Well, oh, yeah. You know the coincidence about that is that I have you know John Dvorak is a there's four writers in the country with that name, and that's why we all use or I use different. I make sure they use the John C. C. Yeah. There's a John Dvorak plane. He's a metallurgist, and there's the other one I can't remember. It's a John M or John H or John something, and he writes for High Times, and he's one of the biggest <laughs> proponents. Seriously, one of the cool. biggest proponents of legalizing marijuana, and nobody has ever confused the two of us. I have never gotten an accidental email for him. I've <laughs> never, there's been there's been absolutely no connection. I've never met or talked to the guy or even emailed him, uh, and it's it's just like it's almost like it's such a different track that. There's no crossover whatsoever. They asked me to do their, uh, this was uh, just as we were raising our first round of finance, they asked if I wanted to be a part of the high times, you know, the annual contest, which was being held in Amsterdam where, you know, you have to smoke like 50 different types of weed and then you decide which one is the best. I so wanted to do it. I really, really did. And Ron and I said, you know, man, this, that's not good. If we're, if we're, if we're like raising a round of finance, you might want to not do that. So they do that in Amsterdam. They have a smoking contest. Yeah, every year, every year, big huh. big smoking contest. And I think it's uh, sponsored by High Times, which I believe originates from. Uh, no, no, wasn't it published at one time out of Amsterdam? I don't, I don't know why know. I'm thinking that. Uh, anyway, uh, it's just like you know, it's like in the wine business. Instead of like being concerned about the qualities, it would be like the, a magazine called you know, a Drunken. Uh, or, uh, oh no 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 no! Shot no you know, man. There's a lot more to this. There's plastered. a lot <laughs> hammered. <laughs> hammered. Hi, I'm Adam Curry. Uh, uh, Adam C. Magazine. Adam C. Curry from Hammered Magazine. I'd like to interview the candidate, please. <laughs> hey, by the way, I only have a little camera. I'm not threatening. Just let me interview with this. <laughs> Oh man! Anyway, so that's my Arkansas. So anyway, so I went all the way through Arkansas, and I I caught like some excellent music stations, country and western stations. Went to Memphis, spent the night in Memphis, which is kind of the you know there's the two music centers of Tennessee, Nash- Nashville, Memphis, and Nashville, and Nashville, yeah. and Memphis is the black. And Nashville is the white. And so I stayed in this motel, or not a motel, but a Holiday Inn or something. It was right downtown. And it was just all black, and they had a basement band. Uh, that was like a little nightclub in there, and it was like I was the only, the one white guy in there. Nobody cared. And you made up and, for three. <laughs> I did. They said, "Oh, good. That's our quota. <laughs> we're uh, in. So we're I, good. You can close the doors now." So, that, so I sat there and just had listened to some of the best music imaginable, and uh, then took off the next day. Took a lot. Of, went around the, the town, and it has a not, very nice. Uh, nice then there's a good barbecue place and then i went to uh, nashville and did what i did and took off took a plane home nice i've been to nashville and nashville is now the uh it's like the new la for music everyone's going down to nashville yeah it's really really happening there i haven't been in a long time well when i was in memphis i did stop at elvis presley's oh you got to yeah how can you be in memphis and not go there yeah that was kind of smaller smaller than you think it is right Oh yeah, no, it's very small. Yeah, you, you uh, think the Graceland is, is, is huge? It's, but. It, it would be a nice, it'd be a comfortable house. Oh yeah, no, no complaints. But it's you, you see it in pictures, and you have this you know much larger than life idea of what it really is, and then you see it, it's like oh uh, okay, <laughs> you know, is this where he shot the TV? That's all anyone ever cares about. You know what it reminds? It actually reminded me a little bit Bill Gates's first house before he moved into this monster, you know, college running on sized. Vista. Yeah. 
he had a uh, a house very similar to Elvis's. It had the under, you know, it had a um, a lot of stuff. It was two. It was like not up and down. It wasn't like a two story house. It was like a story, and then down below there was like a basement with a bunch of rooms in it that were, you know, credible, and um, just like the Cabernet. Just like the Cabernet, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, it was it was worth you know going and visiting. And then his grave was there, you know, and so. Hey, we got uh, we got a new fan of the show, and I I want to play this guy. I'll just play a little bit of his comment. And I want to take the whole thing, uh, but he has a great voice, a great rap. Listen to this guy. Hey, no agenda, guys. Grandpappy John and Adam. This is Dan, ex-New Yorker, marooned in Fort Lauderdale. I just know that you guys will want to talk about the banks pulling out of funding the private equity capital takeover of Clear Channel this week. That's all I wanted to play. Huh. Did you hear about this? Yeah, I wasn't following it, though. I mean, it's, it's a pretty big deal, John. It's, that's yeah, not trivial. No, I've, since Clear Channel bought everything, yeah, I think so. I mean, they own so much, and I know um, through the grapevine, because I still have lots of friends in the industry, that these Clear Channel stations, um, you know, they're all, um, consol- now they're even consolidating uh, stations in New York into the same physical space. There's a, a stop uh, uh, on hiring people. You know, th- that's... Uh, worrisome well you know it seems to me that when you start to you know you're one of these big companies and you start buying up properties to corner the market and then you cheapen the product because the product let's face it radio crap since clear channel came around and it is they're not the first to do it i mean they were they actually picked up on a trend that had begun long before well, them, which no is- wait a minute they're, they're the first to do it when the rules change and they actually could own all the stations in one market no, I mean, i'm talking about they weren't the first to cheapen ah, okay, uh, yeah. the product oh I of mean, course you know, oh, but radio is inherently um the, the owners of stations and, and look big radio big new york radio stations run with like five people it's already really really cheap it's the lowest rung of the show business ladder right and so it, you know but the product is not what it was uh in you know any number of years ago and uh it's hard. I mean, of course, they have to compete now with CDs. I mean, I'd rather listen to a disc. And then they, and then the the only real uh, new addition to um, radio has been political talk radio, right. which which is doing well, with, actually. Oh, it's doing very well. But that only came about. That's part of the also part of that. You know, the revolution in radio because they they changed the, one of the laws, the uh, whatever I can't remember the name of it, the, the, where you had to have a balanced uh, opinion. Um, yeah, you, you had to have equal uh, equal airtime. Yeah, it was called the equal something or other. Like, it's stupid. I can't remember because well, they keep talking I, about I it. I was taught that in equal college. Equal access, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, was ta- I was taught that in college at, uh, in my broadcasting Yeah, uh, equal, ac- equal, equal access. Equal uh, access. Anyway, so so if I said something about uh, negative about the or say I was a, promoting some democratic issue, they'd have to give same number of minutes to a Republican. But that was killed fair use. If it was fair use, no, if no, fair no, use, no, it was it's equal airtime. Yeah, there's a there was a term for it. Anyway, I'm afraid to use, uh, I'm afraid to use my browser. I don't want to kill the connection. So. Yeah, I'll use mine. But anyway, the uh, the one state that was uh, eliminated in 1987, and that's when Rush Limbaugh hit the scene because he's the one, the first guy to exploit it. And um, that was and, my my friends who uh, did uh, did that whole network for him and who sold all his uh, advertising the first uh, I think five years. They syndicated my shows as well. Media America, little company in New York, they made so much money. I'm just irked by the fact that I can't think of the term. 
it's, anyway. e- it's equal airtime. No, no, it's there's this no, it's no, it's a, that's not the term. It's the there Equal Airtime Act of <laughs> 1932. <laughs> Let me type in equal air equal airtime act. Property. You watch; it'll be the top hit on Google, man. I'm telling you. <laughs> equal airtime act. Hey, is something fucked up with the internet? Is there? Did I read somewhere that level three was having some like low level networking problems? Because I'm having a lot of trouble with certain sites. Everything like really comes in fast, but certain sites just give me all kinds of trouble and broken I started connections. This, I noticed this last night. It was it was okay. Happening. I'm not the only one, and particularly Google seems to be messed up. And I'm getting all kinds of. I did some trace routes and a little bit of you know like really kind of you know semi techy stuff to see what was going on. And I got warnings like you know this IP address is used by two different interfaces over at Google i mean i'm sure it has something to do with how they route their traffic but it was just i'd never seen that warning before let me see if i can reproduce it actually while you're looking up the uh, equal air is time the, you know, they call it the equal time rule but it's the fairness doctrine that uh, mm-hmm. maybe was the term i was looking for that that sounds uh, like something much bigger well, it says the equal to the Wikipedia, which I hate to use all the time. But oh, it's God, don't do that. That really pisses the, me off. The equal time rule sometimes confused with the fairness Here, doctrine. Warning, mail.google.com has multiple addresses. Use uh, Okay, using 64.23.183. So now it's, I don't know, man. I thought I, th- I, thought I read somewhere that level three was, and it's probably like border gateway protocol. Someone's announcing some stupid route or something but it's re- i don't know it's really me- or either having, that or it's they're messing with china again i was having nothing but trouble last night and that the connection that we have this morning which is usually pretty clean is pretty crappy but anyway the fairness doctrine the equal time rule whatever the case is once they banned that in 1987 then the, this political talk radio began to emerge and it became it's a huge money maker but it's so dependent on the people i mean rush limbaugh has like 15 million listeners and he um he probably makes, you know, I, mean, I can't imagine how many millions of dollars he makes a year. 30. I mean, he's got 30? Yeah. Justice is base rate. If he has a regular year, 30 million a year. Okay. Well, then there's all these other guys, including, uh, you know, the only other com- competition to this uh, type of radio has been sports talk. Right, and there's money right. there too, but not quite as much. Well, it's a lot harder because you know you you have East Coast West Coast vibes and stuff like that. It's a little harder to do it on a national scale. And Limbaugh is just blasted out on all these AM stations that work everywhere. It's uh, it's beautiful. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And, and there's a you know maybe four uh, four other guys that are making nearly that much money. And um, but that's it for radio. I mean, if I listen to radio, I tend to listen to that stuff, uh, and then I. Uh, the CD on, or uh, you know, even I still play uh, cassettes. I mean, the rest of the stuff is horrible. I mean, college stations are okay, you know, because they you will have some experimental stuff on there and the music that you haven't heard before. But the rest of it, which is all programmed by some central location somewhere, is just not interesting. Well, that's really the trick: is to have some with radio, uh, have some form of localization. And and really, uh, you know, they also made radio a very untruthful medium. You've got one guy sitting in one central place and he's doing breaks on four stations at once, you know, and so he'd be saying good morning to Pennsylvania uh, on one, you know, on one uh, channel. And then he'll be saying good morning to Kansas on another channel. And it doesn't work that way. You know, I think radio really, or or, you really have to be in tune with what's going on in in the community of of your listeners. Otherwise it just doesn't work. Adam, give us an announcement from Kansas. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Adam C. Curry, and good morning, Kansas. How you doing? 
in. <laughs> We're wacky here on the Clear Channel Station. I'll be taking your phone calls. 1-800-242-0100. Good luck. There you go. <laughs> it's like turning on a switch. I actually remembered the 1-800 number, not of a Kansas station, but that was Z100 in New York. <laughs> I remember the number. How sad is that? <laughs> you said it so many times you remember it. 1-800-242-0100. Good luck from Z100. So anyway, that's the problem with radio. So hey, every once in a while, somebody will buy some little dying station and they'll pump it up. It gets really popular because it's the only thing in town. It just I love the, the romanticism area. of it. I, I really love the idea of a radio. You know, that's what, and I'm a disc jockey in that way. That's what always attracted me to radio is there was always that guy in kind of the, in the darkened room, you know, smoking a cigarette, you know, taking phone calls and just, you know, talking to the people. And I always found that to be a very romantic type of business. And that's always what's attracted me to. And I think that's also what's attracted me to podcasting, you know, and why I don't do, uh, despite everyone, you know, I do these, my show now, I hook it up to live 365. So you can listen to a live stream while I'm actually recording the daily source code. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, people will Twitter stuff while I'm talking, but they always say, well, why don't you put up a video stream? It's like, I don't want you to fucking see me. I don't want, you know, I want you to, I want to be in your head. I don't want you to, you know, it, it, it's like, there's something about that theater of the mind that has always attracted me to the medium of just audio. Yeah, no, I've always been a big fan of it myself. And, uh, you know, I'm a, and a subscriber to Stan Freeberg's theories, you know. Who's that? And it's, well, Stan Freeberg was this comic in the United States who was also a radio genius and became an advertising guy over the years. And uh, he uh, is the one who did, he did a bunch of novelty records. You probably remember most of them uh, back in the 60s or 70s. And then he, uh, but he was a big advocate of, uh, you know, of, of turning radio into this, this, you know, using imagery and and you know say, saying things that weren't happening <laughs> i mean i always uh-huh. like to work with some, i always like to work with somebody that that has you know knowledge of you know of this of this type of broadcasting where you can say to them say so like, we have in the studios is you know uh, adam curry and uh, it, uh, you, you have to be here to see it, but you know he's got it. He's got. He's in here naked, and <laughs> yeah, uh, and then the, exactly. the, the other guy played. Well, I came in naked because you know I thought you were supposed to be naked on this show, and you know and you just go with that kind of thing. And people, I know there's a bunch of people that will listen to something like that and and say, "Wow, that's amazing." He'd come in naked. Yeah, but see, like but that. see, that's the part that I never liked. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, that, that to me, I mean, you know, because that always got taken so far, and we like, hey, wait, here we go. Let me do it for you. Hey, John, I'm in the chopper right now. I'm uh, flying over Guilford, and uh, I, can, I see that uh, we've got some uh, precipitation coming up. Uh, we'll be back later with the uh, No Agenda Weather Chopper. Uh, over to you, John. You're beating yourself to death. Yeah, that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I, I, never, I never liked that stuff. That's. Uh, yeah, uh, I think it was amusing. So anyway, but radio is, is dead, let's face it. Podcasting <laughs> is not There you go. Radio is dead. But you know what? I, I, I think that we should actually consider putting up a live stream whenever we do this. You know, if people want to tune in, they can fucking tune in. Would you mind? No, I wouldn't mind. I mean, we do that with cranky geeks. They run a live stream, but it's like such a small number of people that actually listen to the live stream that the work that it entails doesn't seem to be worth it to me. But if you want to do it, I don't care. I mean, we don't cut anything out of the show anyway. Well, the only thing that can make it different is if you then have, um, you know, th- at that point, you can create a live feed- feedback loop, and that's what that's what I've enjoyed. And I've specifically chosen not to do a chat room or anything like that. That's just distraction. 
But with Twitter, it takes about you know two or three minutes before something a tweet comes through, and of course, it's kind of you know everyone can f- figure out how to get Twitter working. IRC channels are sometimes a little more challenging. Whatever, it's it's the thing du jour. But because of that two minute delay, you know, things kinds of, things kind of come in after I finish the thought or I, while I'm playing a record or, or a song. Um, and it's an interesting feedback loop. I don't know if it's something we'd want to use, but that that's really the only reason to do a, a live stream. You know, I don't think it's a, you know, it might be worth experimenting with because the fact is there, the, the, the public that is listening, I mean, and I've said this before, I do it, but I feel that way with my writing. Generally speaking, the collective knowledge of the listeners is way beyond anything that yeah. you know the, yeah. the content provider is, has up his sleeve. Yeah. And so you get, except for the, the, the jackasses out there, generally speaking, <laughs> you, you get, uh, often get interesting takes. Uh, in fact, uh, Jim Rome, the, uh, the sports broadcaster, uh, uses that term takes, and he has people, it's mostly, the show, is when, it was, when you break it down, is largely the public. Uh, well, public exactly, that's, it, exactly, that's the same thing with my show. You know, I just, except, instead of taking live calls, I just have people call into the voicemail, and I just play their, their comment and stop it midstream and comment on it, and it's kind of become my, my art form. Yeah. No, and I think it's a good one, but we could try it. I think the Twitter thing might work. Um, you know, we can pick up on what somebody's saying. Well, particularly uh, if we do it Saturday, you know, it's a, Saturday is kind of a day when people would, wouldn't mind, you know, looking out. Because also Twitter is a great alert mechanism. You know, I'll say, hey, I'm going to start the show in 30 minutes. And then it, it kind of replicates, you know. So I have followers, like 4,000 followers or whatever. And so they may or may not see that. And then other people will will tweet it themselves, kind of like a mini blogosphere, and they'll tweet that, and their followers will hear about it, and it kind of expands pretty quickly. So within 15 to 30 minutes, um, you can get uh, several hundred people um, listening in on a stream. Okay, well, let's give it a shot. I need to get a Twitter account, apparently, because I keep getting people inviting me, and everyone's demanding that. And there's all these, you know, they say, you should use it for marketing. I'm going, oh, whatever. It's just another thing I don't feel like doing. Is the only but reason you know, I, I, I use it's like a ping. You know what? What I what I'm not that interested in. Although from time to time I'll do it. Is you know I'm at the gas station. I'm here. I'm you know <laughs> that that is not so interesting to me. And I tip I tip I don't follow many people. You know, maybe a hundred, hundred and fifty. Um, but if I just want to alert people to a blog post that I've just done, and I use it sparingly because you know you have people who every blog post they'll they'll tweet that they've posted something, you know, it's like, I don't care. But if there's something really, you know, like uh, urgent and, and a Twitter showed up from you, I'd, I'd check it out. I'd click it. I'd say, all right, you know, it's a good alert mechanism for whatever you're doing. You follow 150. That seems like a lot. No, it's very low. Oh, it's very low. Most people, in fact, I'm number 50 on followers. There's this, uh, kind of like hall of fame thing. I forget the URL. And you can see who who has the most followers, and you'll see that the people at the top, like Barack Obama, has the most followers, but he has the uh, automatic s- uh, switch set on that automatically makes everyone who follows you someone you follow. And there is, I think, there may be some correlation between that. Huh. So what you want is a lot of followers and only follow a few select. Is yeah, I, got, I don't have, I don't have it's, time to. Because it's obviously to it's obviously people. a fake to say that you know if you if you, you got five thousand followers and you're following five, you're yeah, not following five thousand. No, it's stupid. It's stupid. But the hundred and fifty, that's just about right. You know, 
And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes by and I miss a lot and I don't go back into archives, but there are other things like, this is what is kind of cool about Twitter because that their API has been, you know, open to developers for a while. And a lot of the people who use it are geeky developers. Apparently you have stuff like Twitter mail, um, which, uh, you know, if, if do you know how Twitter has something very interesting? If you use the at sign, do you know about this, John? No. Okay. So here's the concept. I'm following these 150 or 160 people. So whatever they put on Twitter, it comes up, it kind of scrolls by continuously, just like uh, an IRC channel kind of. But then if someone, um, uh, my, so my Twitter name is Adam Curry, all one word. If someone in a, in a tweet, I have to use the vocabulary. If someone in a tweet does at sign Adam Curry, then it will show up in my Twitter stream. So it's that it's kind of interesting because you can get oh, drawn so into other conversations. Oh, so in other words, you, not somebody that you're following, but somebody who wants exactly to someone who yeah, yeah yeah someone who wants to get your attention. And then there, so well, this, how come that's not abused by spammers? Well, you can block people, so that's another nice thing. You can say, "I, I never want to see something from this person ever." Yeah, but what if you have to get it to? I mean, you can spam them once, then. Yeah, it'll. I mean, so it's the universe isn't that big yet that that problem is, has cropped up yet. Mm. It, it will, but then there's this other place. Um, crap, I don't. I keep forgetting, but it it will go into Twitter and it will uh, build the threads for you. So if uh, if I if I put something on Twitter, then it'll throw, show you a, a graphical threaded view of all the responses that came into that. It's interesting, John. I think you should check it out. I mean, it, it is not yeah, no, it is okay, not I've the chat room, CB, radio I'm, type piece I'm of shit. I'm putting it off. I'm going to do it eventually when I have a few extra minutes. The um, <laughs> It's not that hard. I'm just, but what you need to do is you need to get a client. So, you know, don't just use the website. You know, you want to, I have something called uh, Twitterific, which is a, like a Mac uh, app. There's all kinds of different apps that'll run it, and you can run it through, I think, Gtalk, and you can have it to IM and to SMS, and it's it's well, let me interesting. Ask, let's just ask the public what's the, what the what is the best Windows uh, app that I should that would that would link into this thing and, and make it practical. Uh, I'll I'll take their advice. You do like getting email, don't you? I get I don't get any spam, so it's not that big of a problem. For me. <laughs> it's all high quality stuff. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I get a lot of email. It takes up an hour a day at least, but um, I don't look at all. I mean, I, I do look at all the mail that that comes from people that are actually trying to get a hold of me personally. But there's an awful lot of press releases, and you know, somebody's just to subscribe to your video and that kind of thing. And I just kind of just if people would only use the subject line a little more with a little more intelligence. If you want to get a hold of me, you got to have a great subject line that works. You know, that's where it's got to take place. That that gets a, a, a click. I agree. And I think the other thing that people should know about subject lines is that they should have some sort of archival value. So yes. in other words, Thank like you. I, you sent me a note about something or other, and then I say, oh, Adam sent me this. I remember him sending me something about this. Let me do a search on the subject line, hoping that the keyword is in the subject line. You know, like whatever it was, T. And uh, so I should hit the subject, and then boom, there's your note. You know, best. Well, yeah, but you see, this, so do you, you don't use Gmail, right? But you, it's some other search-based email that you use. 
Or it's just uh, a client, well, just a, in I, your I'm email either, client. I'm either using Thunderbird, which right. I'm not happy with, or uh, I'm doing web-based mail using Squirrel Mail, which has a search function. And it, it's well, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example of how how incredibly cool Gmail is because I was looking for this. Remember this? Um, Jared had emailed us about using a different client instead of Skype and. And I, and I wanted to take a look at it and set it up just for myself. We didn't even get to doing that today. So I, the only things I could remember were that you had replied in this thread and you had said, just being realistic. <laughs> so I put in John and realistic and it was the top hit, man. I mean, that's good. Uh, I don't have a problem with Gmail per se. I do have a Gmail account. I use it as backup. I just do not like to be at the... Um, uh, I don't like to be dependent on third parties uh, over the internet like that in case somebody takes a dislike to me and say, you know, let's pull his account or something weird happens or it gets hit by some bot or somebody, you know, uh, steals it. I, yeah, but, I that, have, but that's why you want control over your MX record so you can change that and redirect it somewhere else. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate control, right? That, that's all you really need. Well, I do send my Gmail to my regular box. Yeah, but I'm talking a level up. At, at Dvorak.org, in the DNS entry, there's an MX record, which oh, is yeah, for no, mail you, exchange. You, what you're thinking is I should use the Gmail client, run it through Dvorak.org, so if something weird happens, then the Gmail, I don't, it doesn't make any difference. You, but, so but, I just but, go but, back but to my old-fashioned one. Yeah, but you're still not at the... So take it up one level, not the domain name level, but you can actually... Uh, maybe I'm, we're just miscommunicating. But just like you can say, okay, this is... This is where you send all traffic for uh, port 80 for web traffic. So Dvorak.org resolves to this IP address. You have a separate record for mail exchange. You can actually put in se several. So if this one fails, i.e. this one has gone nuts or whatever, then then after you know X amount of tries, then you or they have a preference setting, then try this mail server. It, it's really a whole separate ar architecture. And, th and that is yeah. really the ultimate. No one can screw well, you as long as you control that. Yeah, no, I understand that. But but the thing is, I still have to run, you know, if, if I can get it to go through Mark Perkel's spam filters first, right. uh, okay, yeah. before it goes to, uh, because I don't get any spam, mm -hmm. before it goes to G Anywhere Gmail, I, I might find it useful. But I'm not sure that's doable. Of course it's doable. Well, okay, it might be doable. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And now I'm I got that. Let me put that on the list under number three, Twitter. Uh, yes, Get Twitter Gmail. and then, and then yeah, forward, yeah, forward email to mail Gmail. To because Adam likes Gmail. Hey, hold on, listen to this. Hi, Adam and John. This is Falco calling from Germany. You guys were talking about the famous hot dogs from Copenhagen, Denmark, and... Uh, you didn't know what the special stuff was on it. It's roasted onions. You can find them here all over the place in all the grocery stores. I just wanted to let you know. I love the show. I'll hear you. Bye. Another mystery solved on No Agenda. Well, I thought it was roasted garlic because it had... Cause, and the re only reason I say that is because I, I, it, roasted onions is obviously what it is because they would know. But uh, I was in Brazil one year and they had a uh, some dish. It's, it was like a special dinner and they rolled out this exact same stuff. It seemed like the exact same stuff that I had in Denmark. And it was indeed in Brazil, a garlic that was roasted and it was chunky. And it was actually quite tasty. And I thought it was the same thing. It had a similar quality. So that's why that's where I made the connection. Anyway. Mm. So we're at uh, an hour and 20 minutes. 
Did you have anything written? I got a couple things. Did you have Did you have anything written down? For no, the show? I wrote nothing down because of last week I decided I wasn't well, going to come no, but, in, even with vague notes. But it's it's okay to write stuff down. I'm always thinking about what I want to talk to you about. Yeah, I I, I decided to 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 um, it, as penance. I decided <laughs> not to do that. All right, here let me give you a couple. Um, BBC threatens ISPs with a blacklist over their iPlayer. I have um, the FAA. Sucking the airlines off. Uh, I want to ban the. So, you know, three airlines have gone out of business in the last week or so. Yeah, well, this is all this FAA stuff and all this maintenance crap. Well, they're blaming it on fuel costs. Which airlines went belly up? ATA went out of business, and then something called Skybus, I never even heard of, went out of business, and then I think there's there's a third one, and then there's apparently. Uh, we're also re- shootings on the freeway are reemerging. Uh, we got two people killed in the last really? couple of days up here by up to Highway 80, and I, and I guess in LA there's been five people shot down, gunned down while driving on the freeway. Well, that's an American tradition, and and I and I'm quite happy to see that return to the public space. That's nice. Freeway yeah. shootings, very nice. You have to be armed when you're driving. So, when you on your next trip, wherever you go, don't fly on a seven seven seven. Okay. Uh, what what's the problem there? Well, there's this whole thing about the FAA. I don't know if you heard about all these planes that got grounded seven thirty sevens mainly because yeah. of maintenance. Okay, right. so here's what I what I have deduced from the information. There's a lot of it out there. The FAA somehow they've gotten into bed with the uh, airline carriers. <clears throat> In fact, uh, to quote. Uh, uh, one article I read, the FAA is treating them like customers, which in a way, by the way, you know, we are customers of the FAA and we, we pay special taxes and dues for use of certain things. And there's a lot of it that's free, but you know, basically air traffic control there, you know, they don't, they don't actually control everything. They're there to, to help the, uh, the pilots and the, and the air carriers. So they are really in a technical sense, subservient uh, to the people doing the actual flying, and we can overrule them at any point. You don't want to, but you can. Um, so when it comes to maintenance, I think they've just been really, really easy, and they've and they've they've they let a couple of airlines really get away with shoddy maintenance records, and a lot of it had to do with checking hulls that uh, that might have cracks. And you know, as, as I say, as an airman, maintenance is absolutely everything that will keep you alive time and time again. And this seven, this triple seven. Remember the one that had the high fuel pressure pump problem that uh, landed short at Heathrow and bounced around a bit before making it on the runway. Yeah. So they, so the fleet has not been grounded. The triple seven. The problem has been identified, but there's been no like get everything down and start fixing these things. It's mandatory, and I, and I think it's a part of this problem. The FAA is, uh, you know, for whatever reasons is. Um, is in bed with the carriers and they're trying to, you know, skim, skim on expensive overhead and help each other out so that, you know, they can kind of weather through the storm of, I don't know whether it's the fuel cost or whatever the problem is, but I don't think that the, the public is being served by the FAA. I don't think that they're, that they're doing their job properly and looking out for our backs. I, I, I think this triple seven is, uh, is dangerous and I will not fly it. Hmm. Well, I'll avoid it. If it, they, you know, say they, they don't fly. They, it's like a plane that was always kind of sketchy because nobody wanted to fly across the Pacific with in that two engines. Yeah, you only two got two engines. engines. Yeah, and um, 
Although, you know, suppose they can fly across the Pacific on one engine. Yes, it can. Uh, but the, uh, and it's a comfortable plane. It's a really nice plane. I've been on a number of them. And, of course, the first ones that came, it was actually on one of the earliest ones when it came out. I flew it to Washington, D.C. or something. And they had uh, designed it so the uh, all the seat movement stuff was right under, right on top of the armrest, right. just about the point where you where put your elbow. elbow. <laughs> yeah. So uh-huh. you'd sit down, and you start to relax, and the next thing you know, you're getting a back massage, and the thing was moving back and forth and back and forth and jerking all over the place, it's and like, you lifted your arm up. It's the friendly realized, skies. I love it. <laughs> you lifted your arm up, and you realize that you couldn't put your arm on the armrest because all these <laughs> buttons were on it. And so I thought that was kind of dumb. Um, there are some other issues I've had with that plane, but, uh, generally speaking, it was always pretty comfortable. I still like the 747. It's still my favorite plane yeah, for long too. flights. I like it over the Airbuses, actually. I really like the 747. I haven't, I haven't flown the big 380 yet. I hope to do that soon. Yeah, that should be entertaining. I mean, the last, the biggest Airbus, which I can't remember the number of it, but the one with the four engines, uh... I've always found it kind of a distress. I was sitting in one of those once in a flight, and there was like the wings. It's like, a, you know, I had a, a roommate in college who was an aeronautical engineer, and he, he described to me the, the wing theories. He says, you know, these companies like Boeing are just wing designers is what their their real business Correct. is. That's it. And, and he pointed out that McDonnell Douglas and Boeing, he worked for McDonnell Douglas, had two distinct theories of wing design that were different. Mm-hmm. And Boeing had a flapping wing and uh, McDonnell Douglas had a rigid wing, mm-hmm. and I have a phone call, so I think maybe we should continue this conversation next week. Hold on, hold <laughs> on one second. Take the f- <laughs> <sighs> maybe I should play a little music. Oh, let's listen in on John. Too late. Uh, too late. It's gone. Turned out to be somebody I didn't have to talk to. So that's our so cliffhanger. I, our cliffhanger is rigid versus. Uh, yeah, let's talk about rigid wings versus the fixed wing. Because you have the same yeah. in helicopters. You also have uh, fully articulated, rigid. You have all different kinds of wings. It is. It's the two. There are two theories. I don't know if it's going to be tremendously exciting to our audience. Well, then let me finish it. So, uh, so the, the, the difference was that you had to maintain them differently. And Boeing has these wings that, fl- that bend like a mile. And they flap, literally, in, in the air. And they're designed to flap, but they need to be, you know, they have to be checked a lot. And the rigid wing guys, their stuff is built like a truck. It doesn't have to, you know, so there's a, there's a maintenance difference. But the rigid ones cost a lot more to make. Anyway, that's the basis. But anyway, so I'm, on, I'm in this big, giant uh, Airbus, the biggest one before that new one. It's a 360, 340, I'm not sure. And, there's, and it's, got the, it's got the flapping wings, just like the Boeings, only they're like really flapping. So I'm looking out the window at the, at the wing, and it's flapping and flapping, and then the engine at the far end is flopping around. Yep. And so I'm thinking, this, is, this isn't right. <laughs> and the engines are flopping around, and the wings are flapping, and we're going across the Atlantic, and I just said, I'm not going to fly on these planes anymore. <laughs> I don't it's just like too nerve-wracking. Too much wing flap. <laughs> Actually, like, when, a- when you hear a helicopter and he's going overhead slowly and it gets, you can really hear the, the blades, that's called blade flap, literally. Yeah? Yeah, because that's what it is. That's not yeah, the engine. So that, 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 that is actually the blades. Yeah. So anyway, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Oh, man. I forgot to load up the, the theme music. I'll post-produce that. It'll it'll, be, it'll sound just like I started it in just at time, just on time as usual. 
Huh. That's it. I feel I could talk a lot more, but I think that it's also, it's, it's like an hour and a half. Although people don't care, John. They've said time and time. They just don't care. Well, we is. don't. I don't think we have anything else to talk about. Is the is the issue here? We, well, we do have one thing. You you know, you're coming in again. You said this week. I think you should do some more experimentation with the customs guys. Right. So I, I did think about that briefly, and I was uh, I was thinking of uh, two things. One is I need to ask for a team leader immediately because that's what that's what I've learned. Right. The TL okay, has you, the power. And you haven't done that yet. No, I haven't done that. And I also should I should say. Um, I'll, when I'm speaking to the team leader, I'll ask him if he could put a flag next to this guy named John Dvorak who writes for High Times. <laughs> he sometimes goes by the name of John C. Dvorak. You know, you might want to keep tabs on him. <laughs> yeah, that would be appreciated. A, a known drug fiend. I mean, do you have any other idea? I, I don't want to get in trouble, but I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get stopped. So, no, I think that one. Yeah, you got. You can't do double blind. You can't do too many things different every time because you then the stories you don't know what caused it. I think this time you should. I think that's all you should do when you come in. Don't do anything else different. Just ask for the team leader. Should I do that at the um, at the first customs or uh, or where they always say, give me the secondary, which is when you leave and you have to hand off your customs form? Should I ask for the team well, leader I right away? Well, I think you're going to have to do it one, one way one of each, right? this time and one way the next time and see what the difference is. I would not do it right away. I would take it a little further and then the next time do it right away. Yeah, because I think if I do it right away, those are the guys that they tend to give you a really pissed off look no matter what you say. Oh, well, why don't you do it to them then? No, right no, I'm afraid, John. I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> I'm going to Gitmo. I don't want to go. <laughs> I, so what? Let me give you one more, man. There is this BBC thing was just funny, and I think you'll enjoy it. You know, their iPlayer. Have you followed this at all? Only uh, no. Okay, there was a little controversy over or controversy, I should say. Uh, but the iPlayer essentially uh, they're making all of their programming available for up to seven days after it airs, which is great because you know here we we pay for our public television. It's a separate fee that you have to pay. Um, and people really enjoy it, and it's really good quality, and they made an iPhone version. There was some controversy earlier because it, it only worked on Windows, and um, you know because it was like an ActiveX plugin or whatever. So they they you know there was the Linux people mainly got up in arms and said you know this is unfair. We're paying too. You should make it available for Linux. So I think they they solved all of those issues. But the uh, but the basic Windows version actually is a peer to peer client. So mm. when you fire it up, you're becoming um, a node on this peer-to-peer -peer network, which, of course, saves the BBC a lot of bandwidth on these high-quality video shows that they're making available. And it is also, an, uh, I think, a DRM issue, which, uh, which is quite important to them, which uh, the Windows stuff gives them. Um, but what, uh, what a number of ISPs are now doing with peer-to-peer well, uh, -peer traffic in general, but also now with this BBC iPlayer, is they're shaping the bandwidth. And it's giving people a, you know, a shitty experience. So with file sharing, it may not be that bad if you're you know, running BitTorrent or whatever, because it may just slow down, but eventually it'll all come in. But when you're trying to watch something in a live stream and it's peer-to-peer it messes up the whole experience. The BBC has now come out and said they are going to publish a blacklist of ISPs that are doing this, saying that, you know, the users deserve to have the best possible quality. So they're basically siding with the users on uh, bandwidth shaping of ISPs, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, it's, that's good. It's very good. It's a, it's, it's a huge step in the right direction. I don't and, see where it ends up. 
And these guys, the, these 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 ISPs are backing off on most of this stuff. They're trying to figure out some other way of making money. The Comcast, for example, uh, looks like they're going to experiment with a 50 megabits per second system. They're going to roll it out in Minnesota. Yeah, like 150 and, bucks a month or something. Yeah, 100 something like that. And they're and at that point, if they can make 150 bucks a month from everyone, uh, they don't need to be doing TV and all the rest of it. They can just be a carrier of of of. of the internet and make plenty of money. I mean, there's always this, oh God, we're going to ruin our own business if we go to IPTV and no one's going to buy cable TV anymore and and they're just worried sick about this, but it's a not foregone conclusion, conclusion that that's where things are headed. So if these guys own that, they own the pipes and all they have to do is put meters on, it's like being the public utilities company. You know, you just make nothing but money. I don't get their thinking that they don't want to do this. I think they want to do it. I think they were just underprepared and you know, Comcast still believes it's a media company that you know everyone wants to be in show business who wants to be in the pipe business if you have a choice yeah i know but they got to be realistic yeah. i mean not everybody's supposed to be in show business and they, <laughs> you run in, you, I mean, it's true with all these podcasters but it's the same man i used to have to go to all the like the cable ace awards and we'd have to when mtv was trying to stay on basic cable which they, they succeeded in doing we had to go to affiliates all the time. And these guys thought they acted like they were NBC, you know, except they were trench diggers who had, uh, you know, 30,000 customers. I think it's all about the girls. Dude, it's always about getting laid. Absolutely. Speaking of which, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, I did a, a pilot for a game show, which is being sold in con, uh, this weekend and this coming week. Yeah. And, uh, I almost got laid off of just doing the pilot. Wait until you see the show. You're going to love it. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll wait. One of the contestants actually offered herself to me. I was so proud. Did you? That's good. Uh, did you? Thank you. Uh, did you Thank make you, a, Papa John. <laughs> make a DVD of it and, and bring it over. Yeah, I have a DVD. I have a full DVD of the... So they have like a promo and then they have a pilot episode. It's and called, why you... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's called Baba Boom. Uh, Vava, that's a good name. Baba Boom, uh, not Vava, Baba, Triple B. Well, okay, Baba well, better with the V. But yeah, also, you're supposed to make me some DVDs of that 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 show in yeah, England. Yeah, Little Britain, but I, I I don't have the I don't have all the shit to do that. I don't have um. You don't, don't have a little DVD recorder for your TV? Oh, I do have a recorder. I I, I never record stuff. Ah, oh, yes, I do. You just push the button. It says record. It's like a VCR. And yeah, you get a DVD yeah, yeah, yeah. pops out. Thank you. Yeah, I got to do that. Yes, I, I, I think I can. Although the Skybox, I think, because I can record it on the Skybox, but then when you play it back, I don't know if the DVD will record it or if there's some, like, anti-copyright theft shit in there. If it goes through an analog port, it's not a big deal. So yeah, but I'm not set up analog. I'm set up digital. No. I'll try. I'll try. But, I mean, can, we, can I just buy the DVD set for you? No, you not. You're missing the point. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, <laughs> this is wrong. <laughs> All right, no cliffhanger. Crap. Oh well. All right, I, I got a cliffhanger. I'm banning the Olympics. Oh, we got a cliffhanger that you forgot to discuss, and we're not going to bring it up, which is soy. Oh yes, you know what? I do want to know more about that because I'm genuinely concerned for my health, and a lot of people say that you're right and. I did not know this, but uh, I'm very willing to listen and uh, open to switching to something else. I got to have some kind of milk, but I don't want just milk. And my wife uh, has coronary disease. She can't drink milk. Pasteurized. Pasteurized, really? Well, you know. No, I mean, the that's the bad stuff is pasteurized. 
we'll leave it but as I'm going to sound like a complete nutball if I go on and on. So <laughs> That's like okay. We'll talk about it next week. All right, John. So I'll see you uh, Tuesday. You'll uh, hopefully get something set up for dinner. Yep. Okay. That's it for uh, the program. Uh, it hasn't started snowing, but from definitely a very wet Britain in the Curry Manor, I'm Adam Curry. And I'm John C. Dvorak from Northern California, where there's no snow in sight. And we'll talk to you again next week right here on No Agenda.